Hello and welcome to DIY Data 5. I'm your host, Michael Yurig. Today is January 6th, 2021, and this is episode 15, DIYing Holiday Parties and Helping Our Kids to Argue Part 3, Thin Ice. First, I'd like to say Happy New Year and welcome to 2021. I hope this year is the beginning of something new and exciting for every one of my listeners and that we can put all the past hardships of 2020 behind us. In today's episode, I'm going to be talking about the DIY party and all the things that go into it and the different kind of parties that we should be thinking about when it comes to this. And then I'd like to get deep on the dad side of this with part three of my series of how to help our kids be better at arguing. So let's get to it. On the DIY side of this podcast, we're going to do party planning 101. So at this time, we're at the beginning of a new year. So many people all around the world have just finished decorating and cooking or attending many parties, and I bet some are wondering if they would have been better off if they had their holiday party catered. Either way, I want to say don't let this time of year go by without taking the time to understand that even these decisions should be given serious thought because they can literally make or break your ability to enjoy yourself. Don't have a party and think I should have catered it or I would have been better off had I done it myself. And just realize that a party is a party and you should have fun regardless. Yes, something might have gone wrong either way, whether you catered it or not, or you party planned it yourself or not. But you have to realize that either way you should try and make the best of the situation. You know, family could have messed it up. The venue could have messed it up. You could have messed it up. It does not matter. So when I'm going through all of this, this is just a way to help people kind of look at different parties and what they are and whether or not you should or should not cater it yourself or you should or should not plan it yourself. And maybe some of the things you just want to think of the next time you go into a different kind of party and when you are DIYing it yourself. Because like I said, we choose to DIY things all the time and parties are no different. So here are some of the areas we in the DDO5 area household think of when we are going to be hosting a party. Um, And there are different kinds of party, and that's some of the things I want to talk about first. There are many different types of parties, so I'm going to talk about the types of parties first. So, number one, special category is birthdays. So when you're thinking of birthdays, you have to kind of think of them separately from all the other kinds of parties. First of all, These are usually individually hosted. So when I talk about hosted, it's usually one person or one family that is the primary host. Um, So that means, you know, a mom or dad will be hosting it for their kid or a kid will be hosting it for a parent. So usually it's one person or a set of parents um, or a child, maybe a group of children hosting it for a specific individual. Um, You usually won't have like you know, a, a neighborhood block or a group of employees or, or some large group hosting a birthday party for an individual. You know, yes, it might be a group of children for their parent, but it's usually still an individual that's coordinating it all um, because most older people generally don't celebrate birthdays unless it's a lot of the older community on, you know, specific um, higher ones. But usually it's an individual that's hosting or coordinating a birthday. Um, So that's what I mean by usually it's individually hosted. So it's at one location, one person is kind of coordinating it all. 
So that's one specific thing about birthdays. Uh, can vary greatly year to year or seasonally. So when it comes to the party itself, it's going to vary greatly on how the birthday is held. So as we get older as children, our birthday parties change. You know, your first birthday party is very different than your second, third, fourth, fifth, tenth, fifteenth, sixteenth. And when you get into your when you get older, you might not celebrate birthday parties for a very long time. Then you start hitting bigger numbers, and then you start maybe celebrating them every 10 years or 20 years, and you might just stop celebrating them altogether. Also, depending on what time of the year your birthday is will depend on how you celebrate it as well, or where in the world you live will depend on how you celebrate birthdays. So again, uh, birthdays are very specific on many different factors as well on how they're celebrated. Um, and again, different cultures will celebrate birthdays very differently at different times of your life or different seasons as well. Some don't celebrate them at all. Also, birthdays are highly, highly, highly customizable. Um, you know, to a child's preference, to an individual's preference, gender preference. You know, there, there are so many different variations on a birthday that, you know, you can do anything you want for a birthday party because it's, it's literally up to the preference of the individual being celebrated. So birthdays are a very unique type of party when it comes to um, party planning. So that is one type of party you want to consider. There are many traditions behind birthdays and cultures make that very important. Ages make it very important. Family traditions can be very important and stuff like that. Second kind of party that is a very distinct are holiday parties. Again, this is very dependent on where you live, the, the, the country that you live in, um, the family that you're a part of, and the stuff like that. So again, these are uh, usually community type events because many communities are what these are circulated around or uh, your religion might be uh, involved with these kind of parties as well. Um, a lot of these are uh, group based. So there might be multiple inputs, might be individually ho hosted or group hosted. So you might have a group party where there's a lot of people inputting on it. Uh, so there might be many people coordinating certain kinds of parties and putting stuff. Um, there are generally many traditional expectations when it comes to these parties. Uh, so, you know, when it comes to a certain holiday, there might be certain kinds of decorations or activities and stuff like that that need to be considered. Um, so you can't just skip over those or else, you know, the, the party might not uh, be well received. So you do definitely need to consider those when it comes to those holiday parties. Unlike a, a birthday where, you know, there are very few and you just really have to make sure you're making the individual that's being celebrated happy when it comes to a holiday. You need to really make sure that that holiday itself is being uh, adhered to and the traditions of that holiday are being adhered to for the masses that are celebrating it. Um, where that's what makes those two very distinctive for each other. Um, when it comes to holidays, it can be more stressful uh, if boundaries are not clear and controlled. Uh, a great example is a Christmas time. Uh, we just came out of Christmas. A lot of people will maybe uh, celebrate Han Hanukkah or another type of holiday. And a lot of issues come up with family boundaries. Uh, you know, you have the, the relatives who come over and, and, you know, there might not be good family boundaries when it comes to, you know, overstepping a parental uh, speak or something like that. You know, a parent is trying to take care of a child and a 
a grandparent tries to step in and, and do what they're not supposed to, and a parent may not like that. That's that's not respecting boundaries. Or a grandparent overspends on gifts, and a parent doesn't like that, uh, and they may have voiced that before. You know, that's overstepping boundaries. Or a parent doesn't voice what they dislike, and there's fights. Well, that's not you voicing your boundaries and what you dislike. That's actually uh, another kind of boundary that is an issue. You know, so these are some of the things that can come up during holiday parties that uh, can make the holiday more stressful. Now, that doesn't mean it doesn't happen with birthdays and other kinds of parties, but holiday parties, which kind of happen every single year, same time of every year, kind of makes it uh, more cyclical and can can kind of bring about that stress a little bit more because we almost look forward to a, a repeat pattern if, uh, if it's not addressed appropriately, uh, which unfortunately, most of the time it's not. Uh, because if it's bringing about stress, that means it's not being addressed appropriately. So it's just something to consider when it comes to holiday planning is, you know, you might want to set the boundaries and, and uh, talk about it ahead of time to alleviate holiday party stress. And again, the Christmas one was just an example. Uh, so another kind of party is the more broad category I'll talk about because this is really where all the other parties fall into. And this is specific events. Now, these are less... Um, always there. So it's not a specific date. It's not like somebody's birthday that falls every year or holiday that falls every year. And these are things such as anniversaries, promotions, baby showers, weddings, um, funerals. You know, people say, well, why would you have a party for a funeral? Well, they, there are, you know, there's home goings and, and, you know, uh, stuff like that. Memorials. Those are technically parties, um, or gatherings, if you want to call it that. Um, so these are generally held, but not always expected, which means, again, you know, somebody might have an anniversary celebrating their their wedding or something like that, but it might not be a big party. It might be a big number, like when somebody hits 40 years or 50 years, you might have a big party, but, you know, they have an anniversary every year, um, so they might not ha expect a party every year. Um, when somebody gets a promotion, you know, you might do a party if it's a major promotion, like a CEO or something like that. Um, or if they're in the military and they make a, a major rank, something like that. Uh, baby showers. The first one, there's usually a big party. But then sometimes afterwards, there might be a smaller party. Uh, it's usually referred to as a sprinkle. Uh, I, I have five kids again. I've, I know this. So, you know, these smaller uh, or different kinds of parties that will come up are, again, generally held, but not always expected. Uh, so again, they're not not as uh, always there. Uh, can be individually or group hosted. Uh, again, a baby shower, you might have many uh, women come together to put this party on for the expectant mother. Uh, or it might just be the moms, or it might just be the, the expectant mother's mom or best friend. Uh, again, it might be one party planner, uh, or it might be a group of party planners. <clears throat> Um, there are some traditional expectations, uh, that should be discussed in a lot of these parties, but not always, you know, when there's a baby shower, there's usually typically, um, baby themed games and baby themed products that are there. Uh, 
sometimes there are, uh, you know, different things like that, and they should be discussed. Um, but that doesn't mean there's always a tradition at a party. You know, usually at a promotion, you're just there to congratulate the person, but there's usually not a whole lot of uh, tradition in a lot of those. But I know in the military side, again, I was in the military for 15 years, there are uh, many traditions throughout the military. And in a lot of promotions, there are many traditions along those lines. So you should always discuss um, traditions when it comes to any kind of party. And some of the parties, there may again be um, sort of some of those boundary issues, depending on the family, depending on the type of party. Um, so you might want to look at the different kinds of parties, like maybe anniversaries, baby showers, you know, usually the familial kind of parties, uh, you might want to address if there's any kind of um, boundary issues that could come up when it comes to the planning or the party itself, you know, when it comes to who you're inviting or how you're planning it. Um, so things to plan for. So this is really getting into the quote unquote DIY side of the party and the things you're going to want to consider. And as you're going through this, if it gets to a certain point where like, you know, you know, this is a lot for me for this party. Do I want to consider, you know, paying somebody for this aspect or maybe the whole thing, you know, because again, not all of this has to be catered or not all of this has to be professionally done. Maybe only a small portion of it can be or, uh, or, or something like that. So first thing, invitations, because, um, you know, to have somebody at your party, you kind of have to invite them, right? That's, that's kind of a big chunk of it. So a couple of things to think about when it comes to inv invitations. Um, who are you inviting? So the amount of people. So you got to make a list um, and figure out how many people. The complexity of the invitation, you know, how are you going to invite them? Are you going to digitally do it, you know, over the internet, send out a, a paper invite? You know, the, depending again on the type of party will depend on what kind of invite you send. You know, usually a wedding, um, there's generally a paper type of invite. But this day and age, we're getting more digital. It, it may be considered more um, acceptable depending on, on what you're doing. The cost of the invite, how much money are you going to put into it? Uh, you know, if, if you're on a very low budget and, and, you know, it's not a big problem, Going digital is not an issue. If you're trying to do a really big shindig and it's going to be super fancy and you have the money for it, go ahead and put money into the invite. Also, how much time do you have or how much time do you want to give people to respond? You know, if you're throwing the party in two weeks, you know, you're probably not going to be able to send out a paper invite that's really fancy. You might have to just send, you know, a quick text out to people versus, you know, paper or even an email invite versus something more responsive because let's be honest, not a lot of people check their emails every day. Number two, food. Will there be food? How quick of a party is this going to be? You know, is it just a, a drive-by celebration like we have had so many times in COVID nowadays? You know, I mean, that's technically a, a party right now is just having people decorate their car. You know, is there going to be food or not? Um, you know, how many people are you going to have? Are you going to be uh, supplying all the food? What kind of food? Are you going to ask people to bring food? Are you going to cater the food? Uh, do you have to worry about, you know, food allergens? Is there going to be snack food only, full meal, you know, hot dogs, hamburgers? Just those, some of the things to consider. Uh, are you going to ask people to bring food? Not sure if I mentioned that. You know, just one of the things that you want to consider. You know, are you going to have them come for lunch? Is it dinner? Is it a a cake type of party, ice cream, you know, are you going to buy popsicles? 
you know, just some ideas to throw out. You know, sometimes you can have it catered where you just bring in a bunch of trays of pre-made cook stuff. That's, that's one of my favorite ideas. Three, entertainment. Uh, what are you going to do? Are you going to have some games, some music? Are you going to self-DJ? Are you going to hire a DJ? Um, are you going to hire some entertainment? You know, people do ma- magicians, clowns, uh, get a bounce house. Um, are you going to have this at an event place like a um, trampoline park or something like that? That's quote-unquote hired entertainment. And then sometimes there they'll also have food or you go to a roller skating rink and stuff like that. You know, you can kind of do one of those partial things where, you know, you can have X amount of people. You know, that's hired entertainment with it kind of built in. You go there, do part of it, and then go back to your house or something like that. Uh, child care uh, is number four. Um, are kids even allowed at this party? You know, depending on the type of party that it is. Um, if they are, is this a kid-oriented party where it's quote-unquote, you know, pretty much child care is what it is? You know, the parents have to stick around or the, or you're going to make sure the kids are taken care of if it's a kid's party. Um, or are you going to provide a, on-site child care while the party's going on? And, you know, I've had uh, small group Christmas parties and I wanted to make sure the adults could entertain themselves. So we actually paid to have somebody come and play with the children. Um, so basically a babysitter came for a couple hours and we paid them to entertain the children. Um, you know, it was kind of part of uh, what we wanted to do. So that was part of uh, planning for childcare. It wasn't for a lot of children, but it was something we had to consider. Uh, decorating. Are you going to be doing a lot of decorations for this event? You know, is, does it have to be personal decorations? Are you going to do a, a photo collage? Are you going to be doing, you know, a running uh, slideshow? That kind of stuff. Are you going to just be putting up balloons? You know, that all of that um, stuff where you maybe have to go out and do helium and timing and all of that. Are you going to keep it simple? Are you going to go all out? Are you going to hire somebody? What are you going to do? So another area to consider. Next, cleanup. This is the thing that I hate because I hate leaving it all for last because I have a hard time standing all all day for the party or the whole time for the party. And then afterwards having to spend, you know, 45 minutes, hour, two hours cleaning all the dishes, throwing everything out, you know, putting everything away. And my feet are already hurting and I just got to keep going for cleaning up. I prefer trying to do it as you go and then also putting things out where if people want to do trash, it's not all in one location where they're all trying to find it. You know, I like putting out multiple trash cans with bags in it that people can just throw out their trash and it's easy and convenient for them. So, you know, doing it as you go, I think is the best idea. So if you're prepping stuff, you know, beforehand, you know, you're cleaning that up stuff, that stuff up. If you're going to be doing certain things at different locations, you should understand, you know, what the cleanup requirements are so that, you know, if you're at a, at a pool, you know, where do you have to dispose of things? If you're at an event, are they cleaning it up for you? Do you have to dispose of things? What are your requirements? What are their requirements? You know, and when it comes to at your house, are you going to be able to, to keep on top of it so that at the end, are you doing it all at the end or did you plan it throughout the day? Also, you know, if you got, you know, friends and family that are helping with the party, you know, see if you can rope some of them into it as well. Number seven, 
gifts. Some specific holidays have traditions of gifts. Gifts. Christmas. Um, most of them are around Christmas, obviously. Um, there is also birthdays. There's gifts. There's actually usually um, the tradition of reciprocal gift giving. Um, I want to say grab bags. Um, can't think of the name of it right now. But basically where you give a thank you to the person who came to your party. Um, so you have to actually think of that as well. You know, are you giving gifts? Oh, you know, anniversary gifts, promotional gifts. You know, somebody got a promotion, you say congratulations, and you give them a gift. Um, you know, different traditions in that kind of sorts where you would give a gift to somebody. So you got to think of that. And then finally, number eight, think of your budget. Regardless of what you're doing, whether you're going to DIY the entire party, which means you're doing everything all on your own, cooking the food, doing the decorations, planning the entertainment, childcare, cleanup, invitations, gifts, all of it. And you set, you got to set a budget because if you don't set a budget, you're going to blow something up and you're going to, or you're going to forget something too. Cause you got to remember when you're doing a budget, when I've talked budget before, you're also planning everything. And when you plan everything, you make sure you hit everything. Um, and you're going to be less likely to forget something. So make sure you set a budget and the budget is to make sure that you've done everything and that you've, you know, stayed within your monetary restrictions that you set for yourself. And whether you've DIY'd something or you've chosen to do something professionally, like maybe you choose to buy pre-made food or, you know, get a bounce house, which is paying for entertainment, but it might be at your house. Who knows? Um, make sure you enjoy yourself um, and don't let, you know, a financial choice that, to go outside your budget steal from yourself in the future. Okay. All right. So those are all the things that you really want to consider when you're party planning for the future. So when you're looking at birthdays or holidays or any other specific special events, consider all these categories, invitations, food, entertainment, childcare, decorations, cleanup, gifts, and then overall, make sure you pay attention to your budget. So now let's get into the D the DAD side of this podcast, the dad side. So this again is part three of how to help our kids be better at arguing. This part is part three, guiding the conversation. But first I'm gonna go into a little bit. I wanna, again, this is continuing on with the part three. Um, and today I'm gonna talk about what I consider to be the meat and potatoes of the process of helping our kids learn how to be better at conflict resolution and what it really should mean to think before you speak. Um, but first, I'm going to get a refresh of part one and part two of the series. Um, part one, uh, the elephant in the room. Um, who is the elephant? Again, that's you. Um, and like I was saying, get comfortable being a child therapist. Again, I know we're not certified child therapists, but basically that means you're going to become a mediator versus a disciplinarian. Um, the kid will go in circles all day long when it comes to conversations, unless you guide it. Also, uh, one kid will give up and usually one kid will become a bully. Um, this isn't, you know, just because, you know, one kid wants to be a bully and one kid wants to give up just so it'll be happening. It's just a natural inclination for how um, kids usually are. So it, unless you step in and start treating kids um 
as a therapist and seeing their natural inclination and teaching them how to overcome this and how to interact with and see other people for who they are and how to react to how other people are, their natural tendencies will just take over. So also kids expect you to resolve the issue, but you have to remember you've chosen not to. You've chosen that as a parent, now you don't want to be the end all to say all. You want to now be a mediator to help them learn how to resolve their own issues. Your job is to help them come to their own resolution. Again, you've chosen to take this new path because you think they're capable of doing it. And you want to now try and develop your own method or framework because what I'm giving you now is not you know, a hard, fast, proven method. If you follow every single time, this will work for every single kid or every single family. Because like I've said, most people are very different. Yes, there are different ter- personality types that most people will fall into eventually. But when you start putting multiple children together in different formats and different scenarios, you're going to have to get very good at understanding your own children and how they interact and how you interact with them as well. So taking what hopefully I've been experiencing with my multiple children and then taking my experiences and molding it to your family, I'm hoping that what I'm going through and what you're going through, you'll be able to form your own process. So that was part one. Part two deciding to step in. Again, this is just a quick refresh. If you want the more in-depth, go back to episode 14 and episode 13 um, to get the more in-depth. Part two is deciding to step in. One, when to step in. First, before it comes to blows and becomes violent. So that you want to make sure you're doing this before people start hurting each other. Because again, that's when it becomes assault and things get very different as an adult when that happens as well. So, Next would be after you've advised them to try and talk it out and to work on it on their own. Because as you start doing this, you want to make sure that they're given time to try and come to a resolution on their own. You've been doing this. You've been working on it with them. You want to make sure you've given them some time to try and work out on their own. So you don't want to just jump in and start mediation sessions. You want to give them some time. Third, if you believe that this is something that's above one or both of the children that are in this situation. So you obviously, you know, even if you've given them some chance or you don't want to give them some chance, if it's a situation where you automatically know it's kind of something that's happening that's above one or both of the children, you may want to automatically just step in right away. And that's okay too. Two, how not to step in. So again, you haven't stepped in yet, but you're about to and you know you're going to start, this is what you don't want to do. You don't want to start by yelling at one or both of the children and being irritated that you have to step in. Because remember, A, you're choosing to do it, and two, B, whatever, you don't want to be the therapist nobody wants to go to. So if you start responding to them in a way that your therapist would respond to you if you showed up at their office and they were yelling and screaming at you because you came to get help, Would you expect them to keep coming back to you? No. So I understand, again, like I've stated before, that generally children do not behave this way when it's the most opportune time for us. We are going to probably be irritated. 
you know, when we're cooking, when we're cleaning, when we're dealing with other children, when we're trying to do something that is not the best time to respond to them, we cannot respond in a way that shows that we're irritated at them. So don't yell at them. Don't scream at them. Try your best not to be irritated in your response. You also don't want to be combative. So sometimes, you know, a child will come to us and say, so-and-so did this, so-and-so did that. And the other one might be like, no, I didn't, blah, blah, blah. Try not to give a combative response either to either of the children um, because that will also uh, put shields up for one of them or both of them. So just make sure that you are being calm to all children and in all responsive when you know you're going to step into the situation. And really, this goes for anything, whether you're being a disciplinarian or you're trying to step into the mentor mode. But when you're trying to be into the mentor mode, it's even more important because you're trying to get them to be responsive to you um, when you're going to be stepping into to the next portion of this. Also, you don't want to step in and start this whole process when you don't really feel like you'll have enough time. So it's okay to push it off a little bit and let them know, hey, I want you guys to take a break, step away from each other, and we're going to sit down a little while and then set a time to do it. And depending on how old the children are, you know, 20 minutes might be okay, but don't usually let it go too long because then they might completely forget about what happened. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, 15, 20 minutes, usually don't let it go for more than an hour, um, depending on the age of the children. It might make it very hard for them to even remember what they were fighting about. So, you know, I, I try and let it go, you know, no more than 10, 15 minutes. Usually I take at least 15 minutes to try and deal with the children when I'm trying to figure out what's going on. Um, but usually five to 10 minutes is not enough time uh, to deal with a situation. Number three, you want to prepare yourself to step in before you actually sit down with them. So don't just sit there with them right away. You want to you know, have them go sit somewhere and you'll join them. Um, or if they're still quote unquote dealing with it, like you tell them to go deal with it, but you know, you're going to step in, take that time to prepare as well. One thing you want to do is you want to take a breath and calm down because I'm guaranteeing you, you're going to be irritated. You're going to be annoyed. You're going to want to try if they're still arguing, listen in for a few minutes and if possible, without letting them know you're there. The reason why you want to do this is you're going to want to hear as much as you can about the argument to get as much information. And then you can also hear a lot of the blaming verbiage that I've talked about before. Um, and I'll get a little bit more to that on part three. So just hold on. And then three, remind yourself that at this point, you are here to mediate the conversation, not judge, not place uh, punishment, um, because you promised yourself this is where you are going to try now train your child. So this is the new goal. Okay. Part three, guiding the conversation. Number one, the sit down. So this is where we're going to start talking to the children and making sure we know what to expect. So first, you want to make sure that everyone's calm. Generally, you have an older child and a younger child, and you're going to have a couple different emotions that each of them are feeling. One's probably going to be angry. One's probably going to be sad, stubborn, upset you're going to have a gamut. They're generally not going to be the same emotion and you're going to need to deal with each of them differently. Uh, you may deal with them separately before you have them sit down with each other and that's perfectly fine. But 
before you get started, you want to make sure everyone is calm. If you're not calm yet yourself, you want to make sure you're calm as well. And you may have to calm yourself down again after getting the other two to calm down. Second, you want to be clear of distractions, the children and yourself. Some examples are TV, other children, music, mirrors or reflective surfaces. Let me tell you, this is a big issue with our house because we have children that like to look at themselves when they're trying to talk or when they're trying to listen to you. They like to look at their reflections. So let me tell you, you want to make sure you get rid of all distractions as possible. C, you want to be face to face. That's all three of you. This provides an equal ground for when you're talking. Because again, this is where you're being a mediator. You want them to feel like they're learning from you and that you're there to help them, not that you're talking down to them. This will help them to more open up and feel like you're on their side versus you're just trying to tell them what to do and how to be. Uh, and this will help you actually go a long way. Uh, D, you want to lay the ground rules. Um, so these are the rules for the conversation. You can have your own, but here are some ones that I would recommend. Um, you don't want them interrupting each other. So when you're talking to one child, you don't let the other child interrupt. Um, you don't let them try and rebut the other person who's talking while they're talking, because let me tell you, it's going to happen. Uh, you want to make sure whoever is talking looks at the person that they are talking to. Um, so if you know, you're talking to one of your children, that child should be looking at you, or if they're talking to the other child, um, same thing. Also, when somebody is talking, the other person should always be listening to them. They shouldn't be trying to look off in, into space or something like that. So if you know I'm talking to one of my daughters, my other daughter should be listening as well. And when they're listening, they should be listening to understand what they're saying, not just to think beyond and not think just beyond their words, um, you know, and digging deeper into it. Um, an example is, you know, um, you know, uh, you know, she meant she was saying this, you know, or, you know, I thought she said this kind of stuff. You know, what were the exact words that she said? And don't go beyond what the exact words are. You know, take them at face value kind of thing. So number two, so this is beyond the sit down. So you've you know made sure everybody was calm, no distractions. You're sitting face to face, equal ground. So if you have to make sure there's enough chairs or you're at the kitchen table, that kind of stuff. So don't you be standing and your children sitting kind of stuff. So now you're at number two. Now this is where you're going to want to make sure you're asking questions. A. You want to ask questions one at a time for each child. And usually I want to have this go back and forth. So you don't want to ask all one child the questions um, and then go all to the other child. You want to go back and forth uh, if necessary. Um, as you're asking a child a question, you, you can ask for clarification if you think they're adding perceived details. So if they said something like, oh, my sister said this da 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 and you think what they said had some added flavor to it um, you can ask them to clarify did they say those words exactly um, you can get them to try and think harder and clarify that um, this should be to get to the initial details of what happened as the child sees it 
um, because I know a lot of times as t- as a conversation will pass, a child will get clearer and clearer into their vision of what actually happened. Uh, also, this will help if earlier you were listening to the conversation without them knowing, you'll have a better idea of what's the perceived details versus the actual details. Um, and that's where you can also understand the blaming verbiage, because if they said one thing versus of what you heard, that's an example of blaming verbiage because they're adding things to the conversation. And that's where they're trying to blame their sibling because in their mind, they think their sibling did something. B, require a response. And I kind of covered this uh, last podcast uh, in the first podcast. So I'm going to cover it again. When you're asking questions, you should get a response. You should not give them the opportunity to just not answer you. Um, it can be a simple answer uh, and it does have to come. You shouldn't give them the chance to not give you an answer. Now, like I said before, though, a I don't want to answer is not acceptable. That's them being defiant. But if they are saying that they're not ready to answer or they're upset, they're too upset, that kind of stuff, and they want to wait and not have this conversation yet, um, that's actually a sign of maturity and then them understanding their emotions. And you should try and respect that. Um, and then you can talk about it later. But this does really hap- rarely happen. C, ask a child um, to ask their own questions with each other. Um, this will help you see what they're asking the child is feeling about the situation. Um, so as they're asking the questions, you want to analyze the question itself because that will help you understand their feelings, but that will also get them to interact with the other child and, and help the children themselves be a little bit more calm when they're talking to each other and it'll force the opposite child to be more calm in their response too because they know that their parent is there and it'll actually kind of force a little bit more of a calm demeanor in their response so they'll be they'll understand that mom or dad is here they'll understand that i actually have to be a little bit more calm in my response so i'll have to stop and think before i give an answer i can't just throw out the same answers that i've been doing because that's why i'm here right now so this will give you a little bit more feeling of what's going on um, and this will also help them, again, develop that habit of going back and forth, asking questions, giving answers, the thing that we are trying to help them develop to begin with um, and help them to do this question and answer thing in a calm manner. Three, guide the conversation away from blaming verbiage. So again, I, I brought this up a few times because this is the thing that actually is what causes the most issues in arguments, blaming verbiage. You did this, you hurt me, I didn't mean to, all that kind of stuff. So the biggest thing that I see in the conversations that happen between my girls is blaming verbiage and the mindset of ill intent. So my kids will, you know, have a fight or something will happen and one girl will think this and the other girl will say that. And there's blaming verbiage and the thought of ill intent. So let me just kind of get into these things. And then I'll give you a story of what happened to kind of give the the big overall example. 
So A of a blaming verbiage concept is she pushed me to get her book. Okay, so the blaming verbiage is she pushed me. Okay, that's the blaming verbiage. She pushed me and because she wanted to get her book. When really what happened was the child tried to squeeze by and bumped into the other child and she just didn't say sorry. Okay, it's not that the child intentionally pushed the other child because she wanted to, it just she bumped him and didn't, just didn't apologize for it. And the other child assumed that the first child was ill intent. Another example was he threw his toy at me. Okay. You know, so he threw his toy at me. Okay. Really what happened was the kid was swinging the toy around and lost his grip and it hit the other child. Again, no intentional ill intent. Um, and the kid just lost his grip of his toy and it hit the other kid. And the kid just assumed it was on purpose. Again, he threw his toy at me like it was on purpose. Okay. Again, it's blaming verbiage. Um, it was on purpose. So here's a, a complex story of what happened between my oldest and my second oldest child. And it just happened to involve my third child. So my oldest child, um, was doing something and earlier went to play with my second and third child. And at the time, um, they asked her if she wanted to play with them. And she said, no, I was going to go do my own thing. So she went off, oldest child went off, was doing her own thing. And the second and third child were playing on their own, no problems. Later on, the second and third child were then playing in the same room as the oldest child and they were playing toys and the oldest child decided, you know what, I want to play with them, but I don't think they're going to let me play with them anymore. Um, now, when the second and third child decided to go play in the same room as the oldest child, they figured she didn't want to play with them because earlier she said, no, I don't want to play because she wanted to do something else. And so they didn't bother to ask her if they wanted, she wanted to play with them when they went to play in the same room. So the oldest child, instead of asking to play with them, she decided she wanted to ask the youngest child to play with her, who is, mind you, playing with um, the second oldest child, and basically take her playmate away, which did not make our second oldest child very happy because, you know, she just took her playmate away. And my oldest child knew this was going to happen, and she felt hurt that the the reason why she did this was because she felt hurt she felt hurt that she didn't get asked to play with the older or the younger two when they came into the room um so when this happened the second child you know tried to talk to our oldest child and you know ask her why did she do that why did why did she try i was i was playing with her why did you take her away when i was playing with her and, and you know so this, the very short argument that kind of happened between them and because my oldest didn't want to talk to her about it. So my second oldest came down to talk to me about it and I knew kind of what happened right away. And, and this was that conversation where I knew it was going to be above the capability of my second oldest um, to really have this conversation with my oldest. So this is not the one where I'm going to have them try and figure it out. 
Um, so I stepped in. I said, you know what? I need you to calm down. We're going to sit down and we're going to have this conversation. But at first, but first I had her go sit down um, in another room and I called down my oldest child and I talked to her and I said, hey, what happened? Tell me what was going on. And I got all the details coming forward um, from the earlier attempts to play where she said, you know, I was just going to play on my own to coming in, how she felt about what happened and, and what she did afterwards. And I explained to her that what she did was wrong. I understand how she felt, but it was still wrong, you know, that she took um, her sister's playmate away when she could have just asked to play with them, you know, kind of thing. So long story short was, you know, there's a lot of things that happened. There were some assumptions made that made some people feel bad, but then the person who feel bad felt bad made uh, a bad decision, which made other people feel bad, you know, and, and these are really things that a lot of adults go through. And I try to explain this to my children and, and I, and I talk to them about a lot of the mistakes that they made and the end result that they learned. Um, and they came to this, this conclusion on their own, which was good, was the solution to keep it from happening again was just ask questions. If you want to know an answer or if you want to find something out, ask a question. If you want to know if somebody wants to play with you or if you can play with somebody, instead of worrying about if they're going to or not, is just ask the question and that'll keep it from hurting later on or worrying about if you're going to hurt somebody. Just ask the question. So, you know, working with my children has been a great um, gift and trying to teach them has been a great gift. But I think one of the things I forget is that I'm learning a lot from them as well. So I hope this encourages you to realize that as we're going through this, it's also reinforcement to us that we can learn the same things that we're trying to teach our children because it's a reinforcement of the way we should also be behaving with each other. And I hope that, you know, we're, like I've always said, an example for our children to follow. And uh, when it comes to guiding our kids through these kinds of conversations, uh, I hope you can take a lot of this. There is going to be a small part four um, where I'm going to, again, give a quick uh, run through of parts one through three, but there will be a, a part four and that's the follow-up part four. And uh, I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe and share. You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and email. And you can also search for DIY Data 5. Again, Happy New Year, and I'll see you in 